The following is a conversation with Ian Hurley, co-host of the popular Australian hunting podcast, The Hunter's Campfire, as well as someone who spent quite a lot of time in Australia around hunting clubs and especially the ADA branch in Queensland. Ian is an amazing guy and a personal friend of mine. And during this conversation, we have a great talk about the pros and cons of hunting clubs and what makes them tick, different forms of governance and financial business models, whether hunting clubs are worth joining and the new wave of hunting clubs that's coming out in Australia that's giving more value to members. Now, we do get in the nitty gritty as well about some nasty stories of things that have happened in hunting clubs, but ultimately at the end of the day, we land on the point that hunting clubs are a positive thing and they're definitely something that you should be involved in. It's worth noting as well that we have different bias when it comes to this conversation. Ian's been involved in the ADA branch, which is a community-led organization for quite some time and he's moving on to new things. I'm obviously president of the Australian Hunters Club, which is a very new, modern form of hunting club. We each have our biases, but what we try and do in this conversation is put our bias aside and mine the gold from each of these different positions and find where the value is. As always, I want to encourage you, if you want to support this podcast, support me and what I'm doing and support yourself, I encourage you to check out the Australian Hunters Club, australianhunters.com.au. We do community events. We have a strong emphasis on giveaways and value to members. We have free member hosted hunts, a whole bunch of different things. You can check it out at australianhunters.com.au. But otherwise, without further ado, onto the conversation with Ian. So Ian, the American author and businessman Ryan Lilly said this. He said, be a pro at what you do. No one shows up to the meetings at the unsuccessful skydivers club. My question to you, mate, the first one tonight is what makes a successful hunting club? Or if you want to get really juicy really quick, tell me what makes an unsuccessful one. That's a, that's a right tough away. question right up front. What makes a successful <laughs> hunting club? Look. Or unsuccessful. If you want to, if you want to get dark, I know you're a dark person in general. You're we'll get into man. the weeds of it at some point, no doubt. Um, look, yeah. success success for hunting clubs, I think, depends on the member, and each individual member wants something completely different. So, as someone that organises a hunting club, it's very difficult to please everyone. And whilst one person will say this club's amazing, over here on social media, they'll say never join those bunch of numpties. They do nothing for the sport. So how do you define success, Chris? I'll throw it back at you. That one, great. I mean, I'm running the podcast, but why not? This Because this, this is the issue with podcasting podcasts. They just want to ask the questions back. I I think you're right in that everyone, and, I, and I, this is one of the questions I had for later, but we can get into it now, is everyone wants something different from a hunting club. And that's what makes it so interesting and dynamic and fun but also ultimately what can lead to um, their failures or what can can cause um, frustrations with members or disharmony and that kind of thing but it's interesting that you mentioned that someone's objection potentially might be like that you know the club does nothing for the sport and like that is one of the metrics that people measure hunting clubs by and it's an interesting one because not all clubs are really designed to be like political advocates for hunting in general. They might be advocates for hunting culture, uh, wanting to improve hunting culture and improve it either just within their own club or maybe they have a broader vision for the town or the state they live in or the country that they live in. Um, But some clubs are just like, 
couldn't give a, a wit about what's happening in the broader scene and is just focused singly on like one thing. Like for, let me give you an example. Uh, like we'll give a, like a local example. Uh, a really interesting club if, and some people wouldn't even call it a club is the hunt. I think it's called the hunting club and it's based to, and I could be a hundred percent wrong in, in this. Um, so test listener or viewer test this by Googling right now before I even have the opportunity to. But um, I believe that they are more so about just giving away guided hunts and it's more like a like you you become a member and you go into the draw each month to win a guided hunt and i they offer things like genuine reason uh, i think in one specific state or maybe two but it feels like the primary draw is not on getting together for meetings um not on events not on community but rather just on going into the draw to win uh, a guided hunt i mean have, are you aware of that club yeah, I know a, a good friend of mine, a member of my other club, someone that watches a lot of our social content, won one of those trips. He's just got back from a tar trip. Incredible. Wow. Had a great time. Yeah. Will advocate for that style of hunting club for his entire life. Yeah, <coughs> Excuse bet, me. I um, but I, look, I again, that's why I say how do you measure success? Because through different stages of my life, I, I have belonged to different clubs and for different reasons. Um, that type of club, suits the type of person that may need a genuine reason but wants a hell of an adventure or the chance to do it but couldn't care less about club politics, doesn't want to mentor anybody, doesn't want to be part of anything else, but they want to put their their card in the drawer, so to speak, to say, hey, I want to win that tar hunt. And yeah. like you see some of these trips that come up and you think, ah, oh, that's rubbish. Surely he's just giving it to his mates. Um, I'm sure that's not – in fact, I know that's not the case with this guy because, um, yeah. you know, Dave's a good bloke and – and he won it, and bloody hell, he, he got a 13-inch tar. <laughs> so good on him. Um, but, yeah, so it, it really comes down to what you're looking for as an yeah. individual, what stage of your hunting world you're up to and what you need to get out of a club, right? So for me, when I first joined a club, I was looking for experience. I was looking for someone to teach me how to hunt deer and show me where they were and what equipment I might need. And clubs are great for that. Yeah. But later on in life, I might want to be doing something where I can offer more mentorship because I'm more experienced now than I was before. And then later I've had enough of that. I don't want to do that anymore. It's for my own time. All you lot bugger off and I'll go and do something else. Yeah. <coughs> so, you just want to go hunt tar or, or chamois and win a hunt. Yeah, I'm all peopled out. I've had enough. I've, I've helped 100 people shoot a deer. Good on me. And uh, yeah. now I want time for myself or my family or something like that. So I might wind out of one club and then ramp up in another one and things like that. So I think you got to look at it with that perspective. Do you think it's fair or reasonable or even authentic to call, a, like to, to use that word loosely? Like I, I know I, I've seen online especially, and I know that online communities and online dialogue isn't necessarily reflective of truth and reality. I'm, pretty, I'm up to speed on that. But I've seen people criticize clubs that look very different saying you're not a hunting club that's not a hunting club um for instance with with the hunter hunting club i think it's called you could potentially say that that's not a hunting club it's just a giveaway and you sign on to be a part of the giveaway um and i think that that would be a fair and reasonable way to describe that business i guess is one way to look at it but then i mean i'm also equally comfortable saying it's a hunting club i can i'm happy with a loose definition but some people aren't i mean what do you do you think that 
I mean, is there limits to what a hunting club can be? Or can you just smack that label on anything and say, hey, I'm a hunter and you're a hunter. This is a hunting club. Here's a hunting fee. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I thought about this today, actually, completely out of this context. Um, in a, you know, a, a thing that I'm working on at the moment where we're looking at bringing hunters together in a you know, type of club, but it's more of a network. And we're using yeah. probably going to use the term network for it because it's people that can bring their experiences and share their experiences with others. Um, a club I find, you know, it's a community of people that work towards whatever they, um, whatever the club put together as its mission statement. And if that, and if that club, and you know, one of the clubs that I belong to is the Australian Deer Association. Um, you know, it is all about the advocacy of deer as a game species. That is its purpose in life. Um, and that's where its funds get driven and that's where everything goes into that mission um, above everything. And that's good because that's what they say they're going to do. Um, other clubs will, will put themselves together and say, all the money that we create and we raise, we're going to use for the benefit of members and activity. So that's a club because it's got its little statement and that's what it does. If it's a, an organisation that's taking membership money and then funding a hunt for a prize, I agree, it's not really a club. But these days, clubs, don't they? They have a community around social media and, you know, they get they become part of that and the banter starts and they get to know people and they have meetups and all of a sudden, maybe it is, I don't know, it's a tough one. Maybe it becomes a club, yeah. I, I mean, club I think, just by that nature of social media. I think you're right in that there's some truth about the unique, like the, the a kernel of truth about community being a core part of what a club is. But at the same time, like we've already insinuated, when you use the word club, that's like a loaded term historically, and it's a loaded term in terms of the kind of cultural zeitgeist and what people think. And so you can very quickly and, and, and easily communicate what a product is that that's behind the club by saying, we're a club and this is our product, as it's a membership. Uh, and people go, oh, okay, I get it. There's some sort of like reoccurring fee. There's some sort of benefit behind it. There might be some community. Like, like they kind of get a picture of what it is. If But if you were to say, like if you were doing your advertising, your marketing campaign for for the, the hunting club, I don't want to spruik them too much. But um, but if you were doing that and you said, hey, we're a, we're a privately funded corporation that uh, every month you go in the draw to win a professionally guided hunt, and uh, and we have genuine reason. Like you're getting so wordy, whereas you can say, "Hey, we're a hunting club," and then that's kind of a you know a sexy name behind it. And then they can Google it and go, "Oh, they give away stuff." And like it's you can kind of use that term um, just to purely as a communication tool um, to kind of get across a measure of what you're doing. Um, I mean, what was the first club that you joined? Sorry, just back on that one. It's a hunter's lottery. Essentially, isn't it? Yeah. You put your ticket in yeah. each week, yeah. might might win a hunt. Yeah. It's good. Not to disparage what they do. Their members love it, uh, and I and I'm sure they do a fantastic job. I don't know what else they offer, so it's hard for me to comment. But um, yeah, it's more of a lottery than a club. That's a sexy name, like hunt the hunters lottery. Like you, I mean, if you're if you're if you run this club and you're listening, change your name to the hunters lottery because there's like risk and reward, and there's like it's Heard enticing it here first. and there's hunters lottery. <laughs> Yeah, TM. We trademark it. We'll say you the name. Um, I yeah. I mean, like, like, like for full context, um, the club that I run, the Australian Hunters Club, 
that is a, a portion of our value offering, like is that we give away um, a guided hunt every month. In fact, next year in 2023, we are giving away nearly two guided hunts a month. Uh, and that's not our main, that's like, it's, it's unreal. It's awesome. Like you said, your mate, Daniel, Daniel, who won that tar hunt, Dave, Dave, sorry. Like that's, that's, that's amazing. And that, the experience that he had would be incredible. And to offer that is, is, um, is no easy thing for a club to do. They had to pay to get there. But after that, he was on helicopters. He was in the top of the Alps. He was like incredible experience. The smile on his face was just unbelievable. But my concern, I guess, is, is if that's all you offer, then you're missing out on so much of what makes clubs wholesome and good. And like you said, everyone is interested in, in a different thing. Everyone is at a different stage and contribute a different thing at, at any given time. And so if it's just a lottery, I think there's something that you're missing out on. But um, yeah, going back to my question before, what was the first club that you joined and how old were you? So I joined my first club when I moved to Queensland and I was looking at getting back into hunting. So I moved over from New Zealand when I was late teens, um, spent my Are first- you from New Zealand? Oh, am I? <laughs> am I from New Zealand? Yes, I am. Hang on one sec. <laughs> Still recording. <coughs> um Flew to Sydney chasing skirts, and I spent a good yeah. four or five years chasing skirts around the pub scene in uh, in Sydney, and then eventually um, I met my now wife and settled down a little bit and eventually moved to Queensland. She had the best skirt of them all. Best skirt. Sure skirt. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's not listening. It's great. Um, so so uh, moved to Queensland and, and done a little bit of hunting Aussie style. Right, not New Zealand style, I call yeah. Aussie style hunting. A group of mates. What is with you guys? That you New Zealand guys use that word Aussie style. I, I was talking to a, a um a guy from New Zealand the other day, and he kept saying the word Aussie style or like Aussie this and Aussie that. I'm like, what did? What's the Aussie way? A word like, that we. It's fair income, mate. <laughs> All right, yeah. So Aussie style. It's a different style, right? I I I joined a group of. This is not something we can do in New Zealand. That's why I call it Aussie style. A group of mates went out to Burke and did feral control on a property up there. And it was carnage, yeah. just carnage. Um, lots of fairly wealthy people showed up on that trip. And there were um, there were two ultralight planes that raced each other out from Sydney, a couple of pilots from some airlines that I won't mention. Um, there were quad bikes. There were two were motorbikes. There were ATVs. There was all Can sorts of stuff. you mention the airlines? I, I mm. feel like this. I want to hear the airlines. No, 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 that's no, all. No. That's what we do in this podcast. We go deep, Ian. You oh, well, I don't know. I, I, I won't tell you their names. One was a Virgin pilot, one was a Qantas pilot, and they were buddies and they raced each other. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's that's part of the story. Um, when we were cool. out there, um, like they do mustering with with aircraft, they basically mustered yeah. this thing called the Mallee Paddock and they pushed all of the ferals out of this paddock and onto a fence line where everyone was waiting with, um, with rifles and tags. It was yeah. all legally and above board, but it was a, a very well-coordinated drive to get game off this yeah. massive property. And um, a lot of it got broken up for dog food and put into freezers and chillers and all that sort of stuff. It was well-coordinated, but it's not something I'd yeah. ever seen before. Anyway, yeah. <coughs> I had my license. I borrowed a rifle, and it was a great week out there with all of the boys' toys and um, a bit of a bit of shooting to go with it. So I sort of rekindled myself in uh, for my love of hunting. Not that that was really hunting. And uh, when we yeah. moved up to Sydney, I just I went to the local gun shop, which is what so many people do, and and just said, look, I want to I want to learn to hunt. I want to get back into hunting. 
and I'd like to hunt deer. And it just turned out yeah. that the owner of the shop was the state president of the Australian Deer Association. So he had lots of good things to <laughs> say said, about the ADA at the time. I've got a club for you. For you. <laughs> and here's the Remington 700 you should buy for the job. <laughs> and I bought it and I signed up and I've been hunting ever since. So the how did the so just to kind of give some historical context but also context for, for people who are potentially looking to get into clubs how did that first opportunity come out so you you how did you hear about that opportunity how did you know that, that opportunity existed how did you get invited onto that opportunity the Aussie one <laughs> yeah the Aussie style <laughs> yeah uh he was a mate I was I used to be in the rural fireys down in Sydney down in the yeah. northern suburbs of Sydney and one of the guys that was uh, basically on the on the truck with me when we got call outs um, was organising a fundraiser for a, a community out there called Hermitale. And he organised this huge big beach volleyball competition in the middle of the desert. People came from all over the country, entered their teams, drunk too much rum, slipped in swags in the pub out on the main road and played volleyball. And it was just this crazy event. <laughs> but we stayed on a station and the station yeah. needed this help and we had sparkies and plumbers and all those sorts of people with us. They'd go around and help yeah. out the community while we were there. <clears throat> it was just a really wholesome um, experience out there, you know, helping community, doing fundraising, doing some feral management for fun. It was just, it was just pure luck. And, and so you so you start in the ADA and you, you just so happen to meet the state president and it, it's a growing club, in, obviously in Queensland, because for those of you who don't know, um, the ADA originated in Victoria, I believe. And then I think it moved into South Australia initially, and then it kind of bumped up. I could be 100% wrong about that, but just because I know some people in South Australia who were involved in the early days. But um, so, you, so you're, you're, new, you're new to this club, at least, that's focusing on deer. You want to get into hunting with deer. What, what happens then? Do you just you sign up, you pay your membership? Do you, is there a clubhouse? Do you have regular meetings? Are, you know, do you have to go through some initiation with a paddle? Like what's... Hazing ceremonies. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Essentially, at the time, um, once you signed up with the ADA or, or if you're interested in the ADA, you could go along to their next club meeting. And they were holding monthly meetings at the local SSAA range in Toowoomba. And we'd go down there in, in, in the cold and sit there and listen to people talking about the deer that they'd shot and the massive trophies they had and the experiences that they had. And then all of the politics that was going on with the branch and the, and the, the broader club. So you'd hear the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, all of that in one meeting. And then um, my experience at the time, funnily enough, was no one talked to me. I was just a new guy down the back. So once it was yeah. finished, I got in my car and I went away and I, I you know, thought about all those stories. And, yep, deer hunting's for me. Um, yeah, they're all a bunch of cagey people that don't want to tell, you know, any secrets. That's deer hunters, right? <laughs> well, especially in Queensland it is. Oh, terrible, yeah. So, um, you know, I was reading more magazines and then, I read an article and it was one of the guys that was at the meeting. It was an article in a magazine. I thought, oh, this guy knows his stuff. So um, went back to the next meeting. Um, same deal. Listened to more stuff, more stories, more politics. Left without a friend. And um, eventually on the, my third visit, I put my hand up down the back and said, don't you guys talk to new people? <laughs> I can. I know exactly how you would have said that too. I can picture you. Straight up. Uh, and anyway, um, someone came and spoke to me at the end of the meeting and said, um, it's funny you say that. Um, we've thought we've had a problem with our new members because people come and go pretty quickly. <coughs> Would you like to help us sort that out? And all of a sudden I was on the committee as a new member advocacy person that would latch yeah. onto them when they walked in the door, sh shake their hands, introduce them to a president and give them a bit of a you know, feel-good fuzzy feeling. 
Um, you were the Jehovah's Witness of the ADA. Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it was honest feedback. You know, this was a club of, of you know, old hunters. They've been around a long time. Their spots were secret. They weren't going to tell you anything. Who's this young punk that's going to come, you know, and potentially shoot that stag that I've been looking at for three or four years? No yeah. way, no how was I going to get a, an inkling. But the club, once you, you earned your stripes, had a block, a couple of blocks. <clears throat> um, you could do inductions. Uh, you were able to go up there with an experienced person. And eventually I became one of those bit more well-known people because I took on a secretary job. And, you know, I have to say that if you're part of a club and you don't put your hand up to do anything, you're unlikely to get much reward. Uh, those that give tend to get. And I was pretty quick to put my hand up to help out. So um, all of a sudden I was in the inner sanctum and, you know, helping people that were joining the club get access to places that, you know, that they'd never seen before. So just the way it went. Yeah. So that's so you've said some really interesting things that I can I think are conducive of how clubs have historically been run and I'm seeing I'm starting to see a change in in some new and and modern clubs that's kind of breaking this mold somewhat um but it's definitely uh like something historically that that is, has happened and we need to be conscious of and that is if you want to get anything out of the club you really have to be heavily involved uh, and not just heavily involved, but you need to be involved in like a committee or involved in like the board or a treasurer or a secretary or, or something. And I like, for me personally, this is a tension that I struggle with because I think people should be able to get something out of, if, if you're a member and you're paying you should be able to get something out of it. Um, there should be like some sort of value that you can immediately get out of it. Now, I'm 100% with you in that I think the people who get the most out of clubs are the people who get the most involved. And it's kind of, you get what you, you know, you get out what you put in. That is 100% the case with hunting clubs um, in general, or clubs in general. But I do think that there's this unhealthy kind of culture in a lot of clubs that, unless you're in the upper echelon, unless you're in the top tier kind of click, then you don't get access. Then you don't get invited out on the trips that you don't get the hidden knowledge. And it's kind of like a club within a club sometimes. I mean, is that a fair? Oh, and, and look, in, in my in my club, this is still with the ADA. <coughs> um, once you join the club, if you didn't pay another fee, you weren't part of the Darling Downs hunting group. So you could be a member receive your, you know, your weapons license, get a magazine, come to the socials, participate like that. But if you wanted to go on club hunts, you paid another fee and that got you into the group of people that hunted the club block. So yeah, but it was, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a secret society. It was well known. If you wanted to, to get access, you pay your fee, you go through the process, yeah. you have to do a working bee. You know, we forced people to go through the process of participation if they wanted to hunt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was a good process, I have to say, at the time. Um, there was nothing wrong with that. and But we still got our fair share of people that came and mucked around on a working bee and expected to be able to get for free ride access to a block, right? Um, it's, it's a problem. I think you're spot on in that I anyone who comes into a club and expects to get everything for nothing is, is going to be rudely – have a rude awakening. But at the same token – at the same token, if you 
come into a club and you pay your money and you don't get any value. Um, and it's like, you, it's almost like you've paid for the opportunity to pay again. That almost seems criminal. Um, and so it's this weird tension between it not being this isolated, restrictive experience, but not being at the same time, like you don't you just give everything away. Um, you, people need to kind of not earn it, but at least be involved, at least contribute. Um, there need to be levels. Yeah. There need to be levels, I think, in, in all of these these clubs. But um, who decides those levels? You know, that becomes interesting in clubs where, where, where ownership is not a thing. You voted in, you voted out. You rally the troops, you vote them out so that you can get in. <coughs> you know, clubs are notorious for all of this sort of work, right, that goes on in the background. Oh, it's coming up to AGM time. Surely we can muscle our way in this time and, you know, there's a purse there that we can spend on a hut or something, whatever. You know, that's the way clubs clubs function a lot of the time. But um, but do they have to? That's the question. Because you're talking about clubs that are run by, by communities, community-driven clubs. But there's a growing t- trend, and some people again argue that this is not actually a club, but is but is that a, a club or a community that is actually founded on a company or a business where there is an owner of that business and everyone else pays to be involved in the activities of that business, but there is no committee unless the you know the company forms one and then the only power they have is is the power that's that's essentially relegated or given to them. And so there is no like there is no hierarchy. There is no ladder to climb. There is no AGM. There's all of that politicizing can potentially, uh, and I'm not saying this is even a good thing, but it can be removed. Um, So only the benefits remain. Um, I mean, do you think that's a good thing or bad thing or dangerous or? It's a good thing. I think the club of the future will operate that way. (coughs) There are new clubs standing up fairly often at the moment. Yours is fairly fresh, fairly new. Um, yeah. there's some others that have come up and popped up around. I'm a big, big advocate for, oh, I say this and then I'll contradict myself, lots of small local <laughs> clubs, but I love yeah. the social club, the social media club, you know, join the community, um, you know, uh, participate every way you can, can be national, can be quite easy to get together and talk and do things, but it still doesn't need that big hierarchy until you yeah. start doing things like organizing activity. Because if you organize a club-based activity, you now have risk, work instructions, insurances, all of those things that are super important to make sure that you don't get in trouble. I mean, we've got volunteers here. Volunteers can get mm. sued into the into the ground if they do something yeah. wrong and they're not covered by the appropriate insurances. You need to know this stuff yeah. when you start a club. And some of the big clubs have got that stuff down pat. Now, yeah. do they do it with their own self-interest? Maybe, sometimes. Um, are they insuring themselves but pushing the workload onto others? Not sure. Haven't dug that deep into it. But sometimes I see other organisations that it seems that that's the way. And yeah. I think that's a bit tough. But <clears throat> that's um, one of the reasons you look into a club and decide whether it's your, your fit for your purpose or not. 
Well, let's let's kind of linger on on this topic because I think there's something that we can mine out of this. I think there's still more some more stuff that we can go even deeper because really what we're talking about is is these two different clubs, one that is a private company um, and one that is a community driven company, and the way that they operate is very very different. And I think one of the things that you've mentioned is is kind of strongly highlighted in both of those, and that is self interest because in a company in a business, and this is um, like the Australian Hunters Club falls into this category. Uh, there, someone is one person, or uh, or if there's employees, um, are benefiting financially from this membership. So when you when you pay your membership, it goes and it, it lands in the that bank account, uh, and the, and and you as a member can't expect to have any share of that. It's not a kitty; it's that person's bank account, and whatever benefits you get are the benefits that have been promised to you, and. You, you'd understand or you'd assume that they're getting paid for out of that kitty, but you don't have any control. Um, the other one is the community driven one where your membership goes into like a fund or that is basically how that money is spent is dictated by the community, by the um, the president, by the treasurer, by the secretary, by that, that board. Or by its hierarchy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we can get into the complexity of branches. I'll pay my membership. It goes into the kitty. It doesn't get decided how it's used locally. It goes into the broader organization to, to fulfill its obligations. So this is a unique thing that's interesting about, and I'll, I'll come back to interest in a second, but we'll, let's go with this now because you've mentioned it, is that large clubs like the ADA or the SSAA um, have a national presence and a national brand and statewide or sometimes region-wide region, region wide, um, expressions or kind of mini clubs that are still the SSAA or still the ADA, but it's the ADA Toowoomba or or the ADA Southeast or whatever it is for, um, for you guys. And and what you're saying uh, is basically that you can pay your membership fee and it goes into your local branch and then your local branch just chucks it up and it goes into the national fund and the national fund uses that money to, to meet its obligations based on its, you know, um, what's the word? It, its values and it, what it's committed to its constitution. Um, but that might not be in your state's best interest. So all the ADA money that you might be giving into in Queensland might be paying for deer conservation in Victoria, which is a bit rough if that's what's happening. Um, it's a tough one. In some regards. Yeah, in some regards. If I was, if I was a member that was joining expecting that membership money was going to be spent on me for you know you know a portion of it to support me and what I want to do as a hunter locally, um, then I'd suggest that when you join a club, you you dig deep enough to understand where your money's going to go. Now, yeah, um, the, the the case and scenario that you've spoken about, um, I don't know the exact details of all of the finances because I'm not on that part of the world, <clears throat> but what I can say is the funds do go where they go, and they go exactly where the ADA said they were going to go to to yeah, to 100%. to and there and there are there are times when organizations need to change the way they spend so when they might spend on you know with a national program to um, promote deer advocacy things like that you know um, the status of as of deer as game rather than pests and ferals those sorts of things they they may have a national campaign to do that but at some point in time mm. in its life it can retract back into the heartland of where, where it's from and spend more money in that location. And me in Queensland, yeah. I might say, oh, that's not fair. <coughs> but 
if you look at it deep enough, they are doing what they said they were going to do. They're not doing anything wrong by anybody. It's just yeah. that it doesn't suit my purpose right now. And that that's sort of where yeah. I led and I started with this. You choose your club based on what it can do for you and whether it meets you know, the, the, the purpose and the, the goals that you have as an individual. And if it doesn't, yeah. move. Move on. Yeah, this whole life membership yeah. concept, yeah, that's a thing of the past. We used to be, I'm liberal or labor. You know, I'm a Holden, I'm a Ford, I'm a, yeah. you know, whatever for life. Not anymore. Like we've got life members of the ADA. Good on them. Absolutely amazing. <clears throat> you know, they don't hunt anymore. They've been around a long time. They formed 40 years old, our, our branches this year. Right? It's been going a yeah. long time. Um, and a lot of those foundation members, they pay their membership every year and, and they're happy to support the advocacy of deer and that's what they do and that's what they expect. And they get a magazine, some other little benefits, and that's fine. For me, that's not what I want anymore. It was exactly what I wanted at the time, but now I've progressed yeah. through my career and my hunting career and I've, um, I've given back to the club through mentorship. You know, I've been the president of it for a number of years. I've been on the committees for a long time. I feel like they gave me a lot early. I've yep. given as much back, if not more, to make it a good a good branch, a good club, <coughs> and it's time yep. for me to go and pursue what my real ideals are. So I will find something different. Do you think your position is not only a reflection of where you're at in your hunting journey, but a reflection of what's happening in society in general in that, you know, gone are the days where you – you know, you did an apprenticeship as a mechanic and then you're like my dad, you're a mechanic for like 40 years and that's, and, and you do not leave. Like you're with the same job and you stay with the same job and there's like loyalty and, and like, you know, we change our phone providers, we change our internet providers, we change our mortgage providers. Like we, we are constantly changing and we have, the reason why we do it is because we're incentivized to do it because we, we can get things, there's more value for us if we move around. But I just wonder if something is, lost in that kind of transactional approach to life whether it's a hunting club or maybe not to a mortgage because screw the banks but but like that that there's this kind of resilience that you can build up or when you stay in the same space for a long time you can see the growth in that space or you can contribute to the growth in that space if you jump in and jump out and i'm not suggesting that you you've done this at all mind you i think you've done an admirable job building um the club that you've been in and you should be released to go do whatever you want. Um, but I just wonder for some people whether they need to be careful of how flippant they can be about these kind of commitments. And I mean, is when, when you join a hunting club, is it a commit? Are you making a commitment to that club or are you just trying to get benefits out of it? Well, that depends on whether you're joining a club or a network or a social group. Let's go back <laughs> to the definitions. <coughs> That's a difficult one. If I join a club, I'm paying a fee to get some benefits. Those benefits, they're listed on a membership form. You will get, dip, 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 dip. all right? And if you don't get those, feel aggrieved. That's okay. Um, if you join a social group online, and I'm part of a couple of different hunting social groups, um, I don't pay a fee for that. Um, and I'm on there to support those that are doing like-minded things. Um, yeah. If I join one of the, a more modern club that's been built up, similar to what you're doing, you know, you're providing different styles of benefits and a completely different framework and structure um, that may well suit me right now because I'm looking for opportunity. I'm looking for mm. somebody else to provide that opportunity, but I'm willing to participate to get it. Right? But that's yeah. different to me paying money to support deer advocacy. 
because in your world, I pay money, <coughs> goes into your bank account, and you'll provide me benefits. And that's great. Yeah. Right? That's similar, mm. but the funds are distributed for the members or they're used to encourage more members to come along and spend some more money, but it, ultimately you're giving us opportunity. The money that comes into membership from a, an, ADA, an ADA or an ABA or various different other organisations, if you want money to um, create opportunity, we can fundraise for that. That's different. Mm. It doesn't come out of mm. the membership. Yeah. Well, see, that's that's what's fa- maybe that we can lean into that um, and go back to what I was talking about before and, and cover this because I think this is really interesting with those two different styles, community driven versus a business driven. Is like you said, there's there's incentive, there's financial incentive um, with both. And if, for instance, with the Australian Hunters Club, the money comes into my bank account. I am I have flesh in the game, and I am incentive incentivized to work my butt off to give as much value as I can to members, to give away as, as a many professionally guided hunts to give away as like we're at, I think for next year we're, and I don't want this to be a plug for the Australian hunters club. I just want to kind of give idea of, of, of values. Like we're going to give away, I think it's like three to $500 worth of hunting gear every month to one person. And so like, it's like building, it's like I'm incentivized to do it because I benefit from it. And when I benefit from it, you know, there's more club members and the club grows and we can get more benefits. And so it kind of naturally increases, but it all falls on my shoulders. Whereas with a, a hunting club that's driven by a community, there's so many more cogs. There's so much more complex. Um, there's so many more people that are invested either uh, not so much financially, although from what I can tell, there are the people in the upper echelon do get a little bit of a kickback from from the roles that they they play in those businesses, but it's not much. It's not like it's not career money. It's just like a bit of play money to kind of support their activities. Basically, it's access to more opportunity than the other guy. Yeah, yeah. If you're on the committee, you're getting contacted by people. You know, people contact yeah. me and say, "Hey, I've got a deer problem," because I'm the contact point yeah. for the ADA. So I get first shot at the access. <coughs> it's yeah. up to me then if I'm honest about that and hand that over to the club and try and talk about how the club can work with that access. Um, I had a call from state government one day saying, hey, we've got some um, some businessmen from overseas that would love to go hunting on the Darling Downs while they're here. Um, they'll pay for it. Um, you know, and I'm talking lots of money. Um, yeah, right, so as a club, if we were positioned to be able to take them on, we probably could. Turns out we weren't insured for it. We're not guides. We couldn't do it. We had to hand them off to somebody else. But... Those opportunities come around because you are putting yourself out there as a leader of your group, um, things come to yeah. you. And you, you'll see the same in what you're doing. You do a lot of work yeah. in and around, um, you know, hunters and um, outfitters, people like that. <coughs> so, excuse me, just trying to get rid of this cold on point. You're getting, you know, to talk to people that can provide opportunity, you know, on a, on a, on a grand scale compared to anybody else. Uh, but you work yeah. for that. That's good. Yeah, I guess my, my concern just though is with the community model is that is like like you said, there it relies on a level of trust and authenticity and accountability that may not be there. So like if money comes in, like a hundred dollars comes in to both to both businesses with a membership fee, and one will go into a bank of someone who then works hard for that hundred dollars and you hopefully get a hundred dollars of value out of it. And if you don't, you can leave and whatever you'd be like, Oh, frustrated and jaded or whatever. hundred dollars goes into the community driven club. And like, 
what happens to that hundred dollars? There's turning of cogs, there's meetings, there's time wasted, there's disagreements, there's contention, there's politicizing, there's ladder climbing. And then does anything get like there's rent to pay, there's there's insurances to pay. And at the end of the day, you gotta wonder whether that hundred dollars actually did anything at all, or whether it just kind of evaporated into the the, the cogs and machinery of, of that club. And I don't want to be overly critical because I think that there's a lot of magic and gold and good things in community-driven clubs and they can do things that a private business just can't uh, and won't ever be able to do. But I do have this fear, especially from the financial position, that money that you put into a, a community-driven club doesn't necessarily it's, it gets spent as well. It's not as optimized. It's not It's not structured as well to to make the best use of that money. 100% depends on the viewpoint. Large organization, again, I, 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 I'm using the ADA as a, as a concept. There's other clubs that I've been along with that, that have been very similar. <coughs> um, there's two levels of funding almost, right? So we've got a local level of funds that we build up ourselves through various different things. It might be from... Um, doing a bunning sausage sizzle if they'll allow you to do it as a hunting club, which they don't, so don't bother trying. Um, <laughs> I've tried, they don't let you. Um, you have to disguise They're yourself gold as an animal welfare company or something. Um, <laughs> uh, um, so we fundraise in various other ways. You run raffles, you do those sorts of things. That becomes branch money. And that's the money that you've you got to wonder where it's going sometimes. Um, and yeah. like in, in my club and in my experience, um, when I took on the, the secretary and the president role where I am, um, I inherited a reasonable sum of money. Not I, but the, cl- the club was well well balanced. <coughs> Over the six or seven years that I've been a part of it, we haven't touched it. Right? Why? Because you need a purpose for it. What do I need it for? So, so you're telling me I'm gonna be I'm gonna play devil's advocate here, Ian, and you can try and rip me. You're telling me for seven years the cogs in your club have worked so slowly that you have not been able to spend. You know, you haven't found a good reason to spend all that money. Tell me what I'd spend on, it on. your members. Tell who, me what who, I'd spend it on. Be, Help me. Give a hundred dollars to every one of your members. Why? For kicks. Because reduce that. But they Why didn't. Not? But they didn't. Because they're members. Yeah, they're members. Sure, but. What if there comes a time when it's a there's a good reason to use that that money? What if it's been seven years? What 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 so if I'll donate it? What, what if uh, I'll leave it there for the next president, and then they'll come up with a better plan? I didn't want to touch. Really? It. I'm happy to use it if if members of the club come up with a good idea to use it. It's there. We've also got the ability to lean on state for some funds and ask national for money if that's what we want to do. If we have an initiative, we get a block. We want to build a hut on it. Those sorts of things. We need some funds. Yeah. That's what it's there for. It's there for club benefit purpose. Um, the money that was fundraised there, just coincidentally, was majority of that was fundraised by members that don't exist anymore. So it's not as yeah. if the people that earned the money or raised the money and 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 not benefiting from it. Right, the people that are in the so, club now didn't earn it. They don't know about it. Well, they know about it because it's there in the minutes. But there's yeah. no real reason. It should be left there, in my opinion, for someone to come up with a good reason to use it, and then they can. If it's in the minutes, I, and I mean, I'm not a member of your club, I'm not sure whether you can publicly disclose this. Uh, can we can we be real about talk about the type, the size of the money, like how much money was it, just so we can get some context? Are we talking fifteen grand? Okay, so what can we do with fifteen grand over seven years? Uh, that's that's the question. Or 
is was there anything that we could i mean because that's a that's a good amount of money but it's not a huge amount of money i mean but it's not a but it's not a huge branch right it's it's not like we're not saying you had a membership of like ten thousand people like it's you know much smaller than that i mean to uh, can you share the size of the branch, the context for that, or is that we have roughly 150 members? Okay, 150 members. Okay, in my branch on the Darling Downs. Yeah. So, I mean, over that seven years, could you have spent like I don't know? Could you pay a a farmer like a thousand bucks a year and have like a ripping hunt? And invite and I mean give like new hunters like you like you had the benefit of that hunt when you moved to Sydney where you had that crazy awesome experience that set the fire in you and got you passionate. Like surely that's a good reason to spend a thousand bucks a year and then have or two thousand dollars a year and have and have cash just you know. But you're assuming you're assuming that I don't provide those benefits without the need for the money. Okay. My club right now enjoys the benefit of ten to fifteen organized hunts a year. And we don't need to touch yeah. that money. They'll go Victoria. Yeah, okay. They'll go. They'll go to uh, New South Wales on our license hunts. We have other hunts yeah. that people can come on to. Um, we don't need to use that to create this. this if, if you go spending it on, um, you know, a one-time access for five or ten people. Yeah. What What about the other hundred and forty? Yeah. Where do they get benefit? could buy some really cool key rings i'd be awesome <laughs> wouldn't it yeah that's not to say that's not to say that we haven't made a bit of money and it's gone in yeah. and gone out and gone in and gone out i'm just saying that the funds that we inherited were stable uh, and they've stayed that way and that's really good because one day we used to have a block that we put in quite a bit of money to put a hut on um we were able to plumb it put a kitchen in do lots of things and it used branch money to do it the day will come where that is needed again, and I'd rather leave it in the bank for that day than frit it on something that we're already providing our members a good service um, without the use of it. So I want to I want to linger on this a little bit longer. No, Chris you, wants the money. Yeah. Chris wants the money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a good reason. Give it to me. No, no. So if, if we think right now, can we think? Is it here's a challenge for you while we're recording this podcast? Can you think of a good reason? To spend that fifteen thousand dollars now? No. Uh, outside of the so outside of the machinery of the club, with outside of the politicizing, outside of the meetings, if you didn't have to get approval, if you could just go, you have full access to that money, and you can make a decision based on what you think would be helpful and useful for that club. Could you, in all your good conscience, conscience, spend that money, or part of that money? No, it's open. The, the club is allowed to use it. If somebody has a great idea, they'd like to use it. The benefits the club. They put a request for it and we'll use it. No problem. But the members are the members join the our club specifically because <coughs> they want to hunt. So we go hunting. Yeah. I can't, in good conscience, say, "Hey boys, let's go to New Zealand. Six of us. Let's pull some cash out of the bank." <laughs> And the rest of the members don't use it. That's not fair. I can't do that. I get that. I'm not suggesting that. It's not easy to spend other people's money. It's not. Yes. Not. Yeah, you that's a really good point. Good whereas, whereas a business doesn't have that issue because because there there is no one else's money. Right. It's so I just... could spend it on a raffle. I could say, here's some money. I'm buying a hunt off Chris Waters. It's going to be great. Everyone tips in some money. 
I'm going to give you a thousand and I'm going to earn a thousand back. I'm still going to be back where I started. Yeah. yeah. So you can use it to yeah. do stuff. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. yeah. Right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. The, and so here's the, here's the other problem with clubs. One or two people do all the work. Yeah. So if I decided yeah. that I was going to use this money, I was going to give it to Chris, he's going to organize me a hunt, we're going to run a raffle. Oh, stop telling you're going to give me the money. Chris wants the I money. don't want them. Chris wants the money. <coughs> no, he doesn't. But anyway, it's an example. <laughs> Um, if that's what I decide I want to do, who's going to organize it? Yeah. So, you, you know, you, you, I'll throw it at one of the guys that are already doing a lot of work or I'll do it myself because I'm doing a lot of work. Back to the club scenario where I pay a fee and I demand a service. That's the type of club we're talking about. People join. I have people join. Ian, we've, we've seen your videos of what you do with the club. It's great. I want to do that. I've joined. When's the next New Zealand trip? Well, buddy... Six of us go a year, right? We've known each other for a long time. Uh, we organize it as part of the club, right? And we, you know, we usually invite a new person or two along, but it's usually someone gets an invite to that trip because they do a lot of work for the club. It's a reward. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, you said before that a few people do a lot of the work. And again, that's, um, that's very common in community driven clubs. And, the, the question becomes, how do you incentivize people to do work? And part of what you're saying is you incentivize people to do work by giving them extra benefits. Couldn't you just pay them? Yeah. Not, got not in this club. Not in this club. I can't. Because I'm paying them. They're an employee yeah. or a yeah. contractor. We're in a business. You can. Right. I could say, for instance, you've you've showed like... Yeah, you've showed some loyalty, you're chipping in, and I maybe maybe the, I'm not even trying to motivate people. Maybe it's just like, hey, I'm seeing you're doing you're doing an awesome job. How can I empower you to do more? Maybe they become like a state coordinator or something and you and you pay them a casual salary to keep doing what they're doing and kind of championing um they're things that a business can do. And again, please, if you're listening, don't hear me saying that I think the business model is better than the community model. These are just ideas. Um, but that's there's some freedoms and flexibility. Now, obviously, that comes with a whole bunch of legal caveats and concerns and there's risks and all that kind of thing. But there's some of the flexibility. Um, one, something that you mentioned before as well. What if you don't pay them, but they get reduced cost membership? Yeah, yeah. You know, they get a benefit. So... You know, you're on a committee. When you're on a committee, you don't have to pay X portion of the fee. Yeah. There's ways. Yeah, I definitely think there's ways. I mean, one, one thing that you said that was interesting about how it's hard to spend money in clubs, which is just a fascinating statement to make. And then you also couple that with the fact that it's hard to motivate people because only a few people do most of the work. When it, when it comes to submitting ideas, let's say you're having a club meeting, and and the chairman says, "All right." The speaker says, "Who does anyone have any ideas for club activities or or, um, or projects or programs or whatever?" Do you find that the the best ideas don't rise to the top? It's just the ideas from the people with the loudest voices, and we all know the people who have the loudest voices. Like they're in, like every community has those people who just like the sound of their own voice. Is is that a common trope in, in clubs? Or it's a, I've got a good idea. It's good, isn't it, Chris? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. It's good, isn't it, Chris? <laughs> um, don't disagree with me is another another version of what you're saying. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd like to think that ours is fairly well balanced. Um, 
we don't get a lot of people disrupting the status quo. You know, if we go through an AGM process, normally it's a thanks very much, guys, for, for another year of service. Hopefully you'll hang around for another one. <laughs> yeah, please don't leave. <laughs> Which is really interesting. Uh, but clubs need to turn over their, their committees and executives. It has to happen. New blood needs to come in. And people are always scared that when they do that, they'll leave it in a hole. Um, you you got to put that out of your head, I think, and, and do what's right for the club <coughs> or yourself. But... Um, no, I, I, I've certainly been in clubs where there's been groups of vocal people that will, um, that will get together, you know, on the fringes and come up with grand plans, and then vote those grand plans in as a group. So it's it's well orchestrated. Um, I've, mm. I've, I've been in a few different organisations that I've seen that behaviour. Um, you were talking Some about cues. the hierarchical stuff before. It's, you know, it's you know, you in a club, you can get you and twenty of your mates. To you know, to join an organisation, rock on in, um, sign your wives up and your kids, and all of a sudden you've got voting right. Like, I, I was yeah. at a club. I was it was a different club. <coughs> I was at a club, and the guy that wanted to be the president signed his family up three days before the AGM and brought them along to vote, <laughs> as if it was a prize to win. Wow, unbelievable! What some oh, will go to. Right? Wow. Yeah, it's just nuts. Wow. But you know. Here's where I can play devil's advocate against the the private business model of a club. This is where it can get really dangerous is that you mentioned that it's good um, and it's common practice in community-driven clubs to to refresh their leadership structure regularly um, through voting in it. Again, it's a democratic process. Everyone has a vote. All votes are equal. Some You get a new president, you get a new treasurer, you get a new secretary, you get a new committee or whatever board. Um, whereas in a business model, the person who owns the business, unless they sell it, they own the business. They're in charge. They're not going anywhere. And so if they're a bad seed, if they don't have your best interests at heart, um, if they go through a, you know, a dark time in life and their judgment starts to become questionable, that's who's leading your organization. You can't vote them out. You can't, there's no coup. There is no ladder to climb to knock them off the top. They're, they're there. And I mean, we've seen this, um, we see this in, just throughout history, especially, I mean, I, I studied a lot of ancient history in, in university at, um, and this is really a really common thing that happens in, um, especially in places like the ancient um, Near East, is that when you have a great king and when, when kings are like, have total authoritative control, like they, they control everything. When you have a great king, oh my goodness, like it's, it's like beautiful, the country prospers, it expands, there's infrastructure built, it's just glorious. Everything's crazy. And then that king's son is generally terrible, like, and because he's spoiled and he has received everything. And then when he comes into power, everything goes bad. And when he's bad, when he's corrupt, when he's debased, everything is just absolutely destroyed. Everything's burnt. The, the country kind of goes back to the dark ages. And that I think is, I mean, I'm, I haven't really seen this happen because the whole idea of a private uh, company that is a club is a fairly new thing. But I wonder if that's the case is that we'll see, we'll see clubs go bad because people can go bad. Um, whereas a club that's a community driven thing is kind of more, it's kind of regulated just by the ebb and flow of, of time. People come in there's good days. People go out. There's bad days. People come in. There's good days. People go out. There's bad days. But yeah, whereas a, a club that's run by a, a person who is financially invested can go really bad really quick. I guess. 
Yeah, well, it's all on your shoulders, <coughs> yeah. isn't it? It's all on your shoulders as a as an individual. But there's there's no um, reason why in your scenario that the owner has to run the operations. Correct. Correct. You can sit there and run strategy, do the great stuff that you do around contacting people and bringing in options and you know supporting the members from a benefits perspective. Mm. The person that is the face man that runs the club could be someone completely different. It doesn't. Yeah. You could still have a president style, you know, president, secretary, coordinator, whatever you want, that actually manages the operations of that business or club. Um, and that's how you would scale. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the unique challenge that I have with the Australian Hunters Club is that it is a national club. Uh, and it's a national club so that we can get national coverage and national resources and make the club awesome. Um, but because it's national, uh, it it runs the risk of becoming disconnected and fractured. Um, not because there's branches, but because people are so far separated. So my challenge is to encourage local pockets of community. And like we said before, encouraging um, club members to do the work themselves in connecting. It's like, the club provides you top level benefits and access and information and structures some events, but really all of that is designed to get you hyped and excited for hunting so that you can connect with other club members who are close to you and that you almost form these mini clubs, these little mini pockets of community that are so much more powerful um, really in reality and, and, can, and so much more nimble and flexible than a big national club. Um, the challenge is that people can be lazy. The, the challenge is that people can be nervous and, 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 and not want to connect and not make those, not step out. Not, not like you who said on, on your third meeting, hey, what are you, why aren't you guys talking to new members? Most people aren't like that. Um, I, th I wish that more people would be, but most people aren't. Uh, and my challenge is at the moment trying to find ways to motivate individuals to to make that kind of commitment. To uh, and and I've got I've got ideas. There's already things in play that's already helping in that, and we're already seeing that grow. And I'm already identifying people who are influencers in in these little pockets that are emerging. Um, but it's a unique challenge that like a, that a small local club. Um, that has a clubhouse doesn't have. They don't have to worry about that. But they also don't have the the resources and the reach that a large club has. Yeah. If you have a look at a large organizations, large hunting organizations, so we talk about what I belong to as a club, it's actually an organization. It just has mm. clubs or communities of interest is what they call them. <coughs> so mm. we used to have branches. We still have branches, but only because the old school don't want to let go of the terms, I think. So, you know, there's 35 branches around the country and you belong to a branch. Well, in fact, you don't. You belong to the ADA. It's one ADA. And then you can mm. join whatever community of interest that you like. I want Samba, mm. Hound Hunting. I want Indicating Dogs. I want um, Queensland Deer, whatever. Join those interest groups. Is the concept. And if you were building it from scratch, you would you would get these um, these leaders, Chris, in your, in your group. You would get these leaders um, that were passionate about something. And you create this community of interest and you let your whole membership group know that if you wanted to get into hound hunting, this guy's your guy. He'll run the yeah. hound hunting community of interest and then there'll be another yeah. one and another one and another one. Are they branches? Yeah. <coughs> they become branches when they have a geographical home. Well, as well as a leadership structure. And I think that's where the... That's Created where the, that um... now with that guy over there that likes hound hunting. He's the leader now. 
Well, but no, he's not because he he's not the. I mean, maybe he's someone of influence, but he doesn't necessarily have to be a leader, and that's, that's why a, I think it's that's, well, a, it, that's a rebranded version of leader, Chris. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, we'll get real. We'll get real. So he 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 or she is definitely leading, um, and maybe there is a measure. Uh, so I would argue, unless authority has been ceded to them by whoever is in the position of power, then they're just leading. They're not a leader. So in my mind, I think there's a difference between a leader and leading. I think everyone can uh, lead, but not everyone is a leader. Um, everyone can have leading qualities, but not everyone has um, is a leader. I, I think they're very, very different things. And uh, if you had these uh, Sorry. expressions of... The dog's snoring. I'm going to wake her up. <laughs> if you had these, these, these kind of interest groups... And they were, and they had a, a, an authority unto themselves or a measure of power. Then I think they're they're branches. And from my experience, branches can quickly turn into tribes, and tribes love to go to war against other tribes because they're all competing for resources. Um, and I've seen that so much in clubs where it's like we're a part of this tribe and f you to that tribe and those bunch of wallies over there, and and it's. It just destroys communities. It's really sad and dangerous. Um, yeah, it is, and that so. that is the that is the problem that comes with scale. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter whether you're a club based or a company business like you're building, all of those sorts of things. As you scale and create pockets of interest, <coughs> whether you call them a leader or not, whether you appoint them a leader or not, they will form some form of leadership, and that leadership can pick themselves up and relocate to something else, mm. and. Mm. Trying to keep control over that at a at a at a business level, it's difficult. You know, you've got to have the right people yeah. around you to do it. And I don't know the answers to it. I can just see how the very well structured, very popular clubs with lots of benefit grow, grow, grow. Need help, leader, 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 leader. Shit, we've got branches. What do we do about this? We'll call them something else. We don't <laughs> have branches anymore, and you're not a leader. Well, you buddy, I've put my heart and soul into this, and I've grown hound hunting and. <laughs> You know, who do you think you are just because you own it? You know, I can see it. Like, this is clubs, right? This is what we're here to talk about. It's how this shit happens and it becomes quite frustrating. Let's talk Let's talk about that. Let's share. I mean, if you're comfortable, let's share some horror stories that you've seen externally or you've witnessed yourself. Um, have you witnessed something like that where you've been, seen a club that has um, become divided because of some philosophy or how the money's spent or quarrels over leadership positions and then is literally like they've packed up and they said, all right, everyone follow me. And they've just like completely separated and formed a new club. Have you, I mean, have you seen that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure I'm comfortable talking about it. <laughs> I have seen scenarios where... Um, uh, where groups of members have white-handed out leader, leadership groups to take yeah. over. I've seen um, I've seen people take control of assets, bank accounts, all sorts of things. Like wow. it all comes down to money. Always, it's yeah. always got money involved. And this is why I was talking about before. I stick it over in the corner, happy to use it. But money does not run my club, and the people in my organization, like in the club. They love what we do. They love going hunting. We give them all the advice. No one's no one is kept in the dark. If you want advice about something, we'll tell you. If you want spot X in that park, we'll tell you. It's fine. No problem. And we yeah. mentor loads of new people, and that's great. <clears throat> Money doesn't come into it, other than the fact 
that sometimes we go to a private block and you've got to pay your share. That's it. Yeah. And that's why I don't like money in a club scenario. It's necessary in some instances, but if you're a group of people that want to go hunting, what does it cost you? What does it cost? What what yeah. what should the club provide for you? Right? Yeah. Nothing, really, other than some guidance and leadership and a great time. You know, and that sort of happens. Yeah. <coughs> but like I've seen some and heard some absolute horror stories. And, you know, you're talking about all sorts of things on all different sorts of levels that I won't dive into. But if you want to think about them, why not? Dastardly, oh, I, this is what. Oh, because. This is what the podcast is for. It's to, it's to get into the nitty gritty. And, and like, I'm not suggesting we. Um, I, I don't want to throw shade. I don't want to. Um, uh, down talk anyone but what I think is important for new hunters especially or for, or for seasoned hunters is that is that we get into the weeds and try and find what the roots are or the or the nuggets that are that are causing that are causing this behavior um, and then potentially address them in in new forms of clubs um, or at least discuss them so that people understand like what motivates a it, someone in a club to seize an asset like a bank account like what what is behind, i mean is it human nature or is there something about the structure of the club that that um is encouraging them or facilitating them at least the opportunity to do that um so if we can get if we can if i'm happy to protect identities and, and not say names but if we could get into the weeds i mean i'm here to get into the weeds here <laughs> let's get the shotgun and go into the weeds i can get into some weeds um, again, it comes down to money. It comes down to greed. It comes down to selfishness. You know, how do you protect a club? You, you know, you, you don't let those sorts of people in, but how do you stop them? If it's a big organization, and I'm not even talking about the ADA that I'm in now. There's, there's plenty that I've been involved with where I've seen this stuff happen. Um, who has the right to turn away a member? Well, I mean, if it's a business, the business All owner. right, right but if it's but if it's not a business, then I guess well, I'm in some regards, it's like if if I don't, I mean, if how do you vet the, your member? Rea- that's a that's a very good question. It's very hard to do. Um, a lot of it is um, is uh, pro uh, not pro yeah proactive efforts. So once you've got members, and once it starts hitting the fan, and then you're like, oh my gosh, like it's it's very hard. To, I mean, if you this is a, a challenge again with the uh, as a business model, as a private company business model is, is your, you need to make money for it to function and you probably have certain financial responsibilities that you need to commit to. And so to turn away members is very difficult and dangerous and hard. Um, if you had some sort of crazy, like if I go onto the Australian Hunters Club website and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm interested in a platinum membership because I want to win guided hunts. And then I get to the next page and you'll appreciate this being a techie guy. And I certainly appreciate this being a, you know, past web designer. And I go to the next page, my second click on the website. And then there's this dirty big form that's like 500 fields. And I have to attach my driver's license. I have to put in my tax file number. Not even a smart form. To- You've got to print it and handwrite on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have to declare mental illness or health issues. I need to talk about how many wives or husbands I've had. Like if the, the level of information that would be required to vet someone even and the and the difficulty of even it being like authenticating that information is so far from being realistic it's not funny because you just be like 
No. So you basically have to take these people and go, I'm going to take people, I'm going to hope that the advertising and the marketing and my outreach is such that I'm demonstrating positive values that people are resonating with and and my messaging is clear and and moral and authentic and pure and anyone who responds I hope I hope that they resonate with those values and that's why they're joining and then I will take them at their word and then if it hits the fan then I'll address it um, that's really I think all you can do uh, and that's not a great answer or a, or even a great system but like what else do you do right so at a club level because we run so many trips and hunts you want to know those people before they come away on a trip with you with a rifle, yeah. sharp knives. What could go wrong, <laughs> right? Um, so yeah. you really you really try very hard not to um, draw a person into your hunt that is an absolute lunatic, <clears throat> right? Yeah. How do we do it? Um, I have to thank the R license system for that mm. because everyone that mm. joins our club usually joins because they want to get active in hunting and the majority of them are fairly new lots of new hunters come through our through our doors and one of the yeah, first same. things i do with them is i sit them down for two hours and do an r license course under the old system mm. it was about two hours of, of education to get someone an r license accreditation and i did that for the club mm. and three or four of the other senior senior people in the club also did those courses so before we took them yeah. out on a hunt most of the time i would have spent two hours with them and within yeah. two hours, you can get a fairly good measure of a character. You can get a really good read, yeah. Yeah, right. Um, you know, the type of questions they're answering, whether they get frustrated with legal stuff, you know, whatever stories they want to tell you after that, <coughs> right? It's not hard. Yeah. So, so that gives us the opportunity to do it. But um, you still, you know, they can sign up on a website and they can come and join your club. And, yeah. you know, years gone by and clubs that we've been involved with, They've had property. They've had access. I know people that have joined our club purely because they needed to get ground access to the neighbor's place to poach. They didn't care about our block. They just knew that we had the neighbors, right? So they came, they got inducted, and they hopped the fence. And that put the whole club into disrepute in the neighborhood. You know, there's police called. There's things going on. There's, you know, shit being slung everywhere. Pure, that's all that was the entire objective of this person people that really want yeah. to do something and they don't have good motives find a way to do it and sometimes that yeah. comes through us yeah yeah and that, i think that's just a fact of life whether it's a hunting club or any business people if people can abuse a system and, and gain it they 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 try and when um, there's money involved I, that happens you yeah. know and there's there's scenarios where um people have taken control through voting, through, you know, good um, PR work on the ground to get those votes and then, you know, basically left an organisation and taken the assets. Um, wow. Stuff like that. I've seen and I've seen and heard of far more dastardly criminal behaviour, um, you know, that stuff that you, you don't even speak out loud type stuff. Oh man, how how can you be equipped? Well, this is one of the reasons why I think constitutions are so important, and having clear rules around behaviour and 
uh, and, and levels of accountability and consequence, uh, I think this becomes really powerful, especially at scale is, I mean, it's difficult because again, as, as a business, your, your, your objective is to provide value, but make money. And if you have to kick out a member, that's reoccurring revenue that you're then saying no to. But at the same time, the culture and the well-being of your community is um, at a financial level, the most important thing, because if people are happy, that people will stay and keep, people keep spending money. But also at an ethical level, it's really important that people are happy and getting value and, and want to stay. Um, and so when you have a really tight constitution that says this is what we stand for, these are types of behavior that we, we exhibit, um, and, and when you join our club, you agree to these things. And likewise, if you do these kinds of activities, uh, you're out basically. And how many strikes, this many strikes, or these are the consequences. And I mean, unfortunately, (laughs) the only consequences that you can actually really enforce is loss of membership. Um, And maybe you'll pass the information on to uh, the the police for whatever state they're in. But at the same time, hunting clubs do have that offer genuine reason, do have a little bit more power in that if you're a member of my hunting club and you've applied for genuine reason through my hunting club and uh, that's, and you have 10 rifles and you go out hunting and it's your life. And all of a sudden you do something against the constitution and I kick you out, you lose your genuine reason. And I'm Uh, obliged. I'd like to. No, no, no. I, I, I am legally required to to um, communicate that loss of membership to the state body from which it was um, registered. And so then the police know that you no longer have genuine reason to own 10 rifles and they can come to your property and say, we give us those 10 rifles. They can legally. Now, whether or not that gets enforced or not, that that's we can discuss that reality. But but um the fact is that that power that power is there. And um and I actually make it a point of of really commu- clearly communicating this to any members. We haven't had many members leave the club, but there's a little bit of turnover. So anyone that does have a genuine reason, um, if you fill out the membership cancellation form, it says, Hey, just so you know you have genuine reason. If you leave the club, we have to report this. You won't have genuine reason. So before you do this, if you if you are planning on leaving, make sure you join another club and get your genuine reason and fill out all that paperwork. Otherwise, you could be in trouble. Um, so there is a little bit of power there to kind of enforce good behavior. And then in some other things like, for instance, the SSAA have the Farmer Assist Program, which is a program by which you can get access to uh rural private property to help with controlling pests and the farmers are a part of this program and they submit their jobs essentially for, for when they want people involved and members of the SSAA can then you know, go and express interest in completing those jobs. And, and again, that's a, a benefit that is highly prized, especially for people in like Queensland who like access is everything that can be taken away and it can be like, no, Johnny, you shot that farmer's cow and now you're not a member of our club and you lose your genuine reason and you lose your access. So naughty, naughty Johnny, or that's a, that's a slap on the wrist, Johnny, and you and don't shoot the cow again kind yeah, of thing. Go pay the farmer as money for his cow. Yeah, oh, look, I agree. But I think, unfortunately, um, there are people in society that don't give a shit about your rules. They're not going to read your code yes. of conduct. They're joining for a reason. Uh, maybe they're joining you because they've been booted out of the last one that didn't tell the cops that they weren't allowed to do it. <laughs> Who knows? It, it, it scares me, some of, the, some of the things that... And let's say, <clears throat> just to put that all into context, there are some punks out there that do the wrong thing. Um, yeah. But by and large, over my years and years of working in hunting clubs, 
Um, I've had an excellent experience and I've, I've only encountered a, a very small group of those, but you never forget them um, because yeah. you know, you're like, that's never happening again and this is how I'm yeah. going to stop it. Um, and we run a pretty yeah. tight ship where we are and, um, you know, I love it. It's great. It's really good. Wholesome, yeah. lots of experience, good mates. No, I completely agree. My experience has been the same in that 99.9% .9 of everyone has really pure motives that they're all in it for the same reasons. They want to connect, that they want to hunt, they want to learn, um, they want to sew back in or they just want to passively receive the benefits, which again is all right. That's each to their own. And you have the 1% and generally they don't even realize that they're being malicious. Um, that's just the kind of person they are. That's the background that they have and you know, environmental pressures, how they were raised, all that kind of thing being abused whatever has turned them into the person that they are and they just they just don't function in community it doesn't matter what community that they're in it's really sad but they just they just don't function uh, and i'm you know whether or not a club has then as a responsibility or a community has a responsibility to help that person through maybe maybe they can help to a degree or to a measure until it becomes unhealthy for either the club oh, or that there's, person there's or scenarios where you look at someone and say hmm not sure I'd want yeah. that person on my hunt crew, but it's not because yeah. they're malicious. It's not because they're nasty or horrible. Maybe they're just not competent. And in that case, I think, yeah. you know, as a club, we like to support those people. We take a number of people on, on trips that don't carry a rifle. <laughs> yeah. They want to be part yeah. of the experience. You know, one of the trips that we, we went on recently, um, we have older members come down that can't walk the hills anymore, but man, do they mm. love it when someone brings a deer into camp and they can show them all, yeah, of their, yeah. all of their butchery skills and they just take over. It's fantastic. So it brings all yeah, of yeah. this, you know, age demographic into a into a club and I think that's fantastic. And I think that's actually a really good measure of f finding out whether someone is legitimate about their desires and whether they have the right mindset is if you invited them on a hunting trip and said, hey, unfortunately, um, you know, you can't bring your rifle. You'll just have to come as a spectator. Someone who's truly committed to your club or to the community or even just likes hunting in general or a good mate will be like, all right, sure. Like, I'll come. That's fine. Oh, heaps of like Our good friend, Muhammad. <laughs> he um, yeah, he yeah. started that way. Like, well, you introduced him to me at a hunter's dinner in Toowoomba yeah. um, and he was more than happy just to come along for the, for the ride. Turns out yeah. he was able to go and hunt anyway and do it himself. And he's been successful since, yeah. which is really great for Muhammad as a new hunter. Yeah, he's he's enjoyed that experience. But um, him and and a load of other people were happy to rack up the experience without the rifle. And that's you're right. Yeah. it is a measure of their commitment. I was I took um a, a member Ben, um, who's now a friend. And these are the risks that you take, right? When you when you're not vetting, is you kind of have a phone call or you put the the word out there. In our club, you can host a hunt. You know about it. But for anyone listening, any member can can host a hunt, uh, and any other member can express interest in going on that hunt. And it's one of the solutions that I'm putting in place to encourage these little micro communities. But I said, hey, I'm going to South Australia. I've got a hunt in Water Valley, which is a big game reserve, um, like a high fence property. You, there'll be thousands and thousands and thousands of deer every species that you can imagine um uh I, like i've only i've got room for one spectator does anyone want to come and and ben was like straight up like yes please let, i would love to come i would be honored to come here's how i could help you know blah 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 um and he had the time of his life and it was awesome and he just had the best heart and we had such a fun experience together and it was a risk i didn't know what ben was like he didn't know what i was like but um 
sometimes I feel like ninety nine percent of that time that risk pays off. Uh, yeah, and I, I agree. Hunting clubs are a great are, are a great venture where you can take. I think you can take more risks in a hunting club than you can outside of a hunting club. Put it that way. Because at least there's some sort of framework in place or some level of accountability or a constitution or even just all the hunters that are going to shred you if you step out of the line um, that, that you can take some more of those risks. And I don't mean risky behavior. I, I mean like, like relationships, forming relationships, which is always a risk. Um, let me ask you a question, Ian. We've spoken a little bit about... Um, leadership what kinds of people specifically we'll talk about community driven organizations and you can leverage your past experience and history and knowledge if you want to or you can just tell me what you think Um, what kind of people are attracted to senior positions in hunting clubs oh um (laughs) i'm not i'm intentionally not loading that question i'll let you load it if you want to um there's two answers to that (laughs) The 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 the, um, the real answer to that for me is not many people are interested in senior positions in hunting clubs. Uh, yeah, um, I'm, I've um, let my club know that I'm standing down from my role this year. I've I've been involved with it for a long time. Um, time for me to do something different, but uh, I'm not overrun by candidates that want to step up and take the job. Yeah, why? Why is that? It's a lot of work. Yeah. You know, the, the, um, you know I, I feel it for my club. Um, you know, we've got 150 members. <clears throat> At the beginning of the year, we book up 10 or 15 hunts, throw them all up on our page for people to say, I want to go on this one, I want to go on that one. Everyone says where they want to go. Then I map out who wants to go where and everyone gets a chance pretty much. I haven't yep. yet had a year where someone's missed out so I didn't have enough spots, That's <clears> awesome. which is great. And there's always a cancellation. So usually someone gets two or three, you know, um, and there's opportunities outside of what we organise. But someone's got to do the work. And in our mm. club, most of our trips are what we call mentor hunts. So mm. we'll run some public land hunts down in Nundal near Tamworth um, where people can come and join in the hunter's camp and you'll go off and you'll do your hunting and you'll come back to a communal space and that's great. Um, you might even be lucky enough to pair up with an older member who can go out and show you the ropes which is also great. Mm. But a lot of our trips are on private land. <coughs> um, they have good chances of taking deer. And we will pair up a new hunter, someone who hasn't taken a deer in their life, more often than not, mm. with a more experienced person and we'll mentor hunt them to success, which is mm, awesome. awesome. And if, if under the, the rare circumstance you don't get to shoot a deer, you're usually with someone who has, and you still get to go through mm. the full process of breakdown. <clears throat> and all of those sorts of things. Now, in my club, I feel like, um, and this is through my own fault because I took it on and I did it and I and I didn't um, get too many more people around me to support it, I, I end up doing most of those trips. So I spend more time yeah. helping other people hunt than doing it myself. Um, now, that's not to say, you know, those in the club that are listening that are mentors, they get involved, they do, um, but I feel like it's my responsibility. And I think those around me, see how much work I've been doing and they're not really keen to take that on. Whereas in my position as a president of the branch, I should be delegating that stuff out. I should have been better at (coughs) creating leaders that could take on some Mm. of that responsibility and not leave such a workload. Um, 
So that's yeah. a problem. Now, to answer your question, in my environment, what attracts a great lead, like what attracts someone who wants to lead a hunting club? It's either um, not many people because they don't want to do the work, or it's someone who mm. has the desire to put a president's hat on and be called a president, um, potentially get more opportunity than everyone else because of status. Yeah. I don't know. I've seen that. I've seen that come and go. I don't see a lot of it anymore. Yeah, Even the other they don't last. Us. No, I don't feel they last. They they get a term. <coughs> the guy that I told you about that invited his family just so he could get voted in, like had a very grand speech prepared. Um, <laughs> you know, and um, and at and at the end of it, um, that was pretty much the last we even saw of him. Yeah, for a year. Wow. But he was, wow. he was, he was president. Good on you. Yeah. Maybe they work in circles where being a club president and a hunting thing is a benefit to them. I don't know. <laughs> I imagine that, like, yeah, you, the the two types of individuals that would be attracted towards a leadership position in a community-driven club would be those who have really strong, positive desires for and ideas around how they can basically sacrifice themselves and their time for the sake of the club and to drive it towards a more positive vision. And then it's really kind of holistic and, and honest and, and, um, and wholesome. And then you have those people who just want power. Um, those people who just want the title. There's yeah. one more group. And this is the, the most likely group to take the job. And that is those senior members that will put their hand up because no one else did. And they don't want to oh, see it just... fail. And that oh, is likely to, to be the result, yeah. Which is sad, right? That's really sad that... Because, that, again, I don't believe that everyone is a leader, is cut out to be a leader. I think it takes a special kind of person who has special skills, a combination of special skills, uh, and there can be some variance in what they are. But, um, to, yeah, and so if someone just, just steps in because no one because they they don't want to see it fail... That's not a good reason for stepping in. Um, I mean, in, in some regards, they have to, right? There's no choice if, unless otherwise it will fail. But you got to wonder whether that's sustainable um, or whether the whole whole house of cards just falls. Uh, which yeah, and this is what I said earlier. <coughs> if I felt like the organization was surviving because of me, I've got pretty big tickets on myself. <laughs> I know that I do a lot of work and I expect that when I um, go off and do something else, when I stand down later in the year, um, people will pick it up and carry on. It's not going to fall in a hole because of me. It just won't happen. Yeah. It'll survive before me, it'll survive after me. And, you know, there are national structures that sit around it that'll go, okay, so you're rudderless. We've got a whole bunch of members that have joined. We need to do something. And they'll they'll coordinate something. They'll do something around addressing the members and trying to get it up on its feet again there's state people that can help. There's lots of people that can help. So um, it is a shame if someone does it just because. But maybe that mm. person is doing it just because now there's an opportunity. They didn't think they were good enough at the time or they didn't want to challenge the status quo. But this is their chance to stand up and maybe prove they can do it. Let me ask you one final question and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. And this is probably the most important question. Can I answer the question without you asking me the question? You can, sure, if it's the right question. No, you shouldn't buy $1 coffee at the servo. 
<laughs> no. Anyway. Have you ever found it? No, I can't. I'm not even going to go into I'm not even going to open that can of worms because I know that you'll just run with it and we'll be here for another hour. The, the question the, the question is this. Um, should people join hunting clubs? Flat out, yes. Absolutely, you should join a hunting club. Um, yeah. The best years of my life have been in hunting clubs. Like, and I'm talking about mm. what has made me as a person – what has formed my friendship groups that will last forever. Now, when you left school, like, I'm going to be friends with these guys forever. Man, I don't know any of them anymore. And my best friends in life are my hunting mates. And I've sat on some pretty gnarly cliffs in the middle of nowhere soul-searching on hunting trips with me and a mate yeah. or a couple of mates, you know, nice red antlers over your shoulders and no way up that goddamn hill. And you've got no idea when yeah. you'll get back to camp and you're starving and you're hungry and you get back to camp eventually and you're just like, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. <coughs> and you remember that stuff yeah. forever. You don't get that hunting yeah. by yourself. Um, my opinion, stories are best shared. Ad adventure is best shared. All of that, if you do it with somebody else, you can tell that story over and over again around a fire and you know recount it with someone that experienced it with you and it's great. Clubs do that stuff for you whether it's the only club in your town and you join it because of that reason, <coughs> whether you like deer or pigs or goats or whatever, if it's your only club, go join it because there's going to be people there that you really get along with. Um, clubs also provide a voice. Collectives of clubs help with discussions into government. If, you, if you're not part of that, then you're not putting your voice somewhere that can be heard, I don't think. So there's, there's lots mm. of reasons to join a club. But I do suggest that you don't, I'm not saying don't, do whatever you want. But in my opinion, you can change your club two or three times in a lifetime, four or five times in a lifetime yeah. to suit what it is that you want to do. And I joined, I joined a club to gain experience. <laughs> I stayed with the club to provide experience back to others. Was my way of giving back, and I really enjoyed that time. And now I'm on to mm. something new that hopefully will, will provide a lot of new people a way to um, put into practice things they see online. Yeah. Stay tuned for Ian's network. <laughs> <laughs> the network. <laughs> oh, I think you're 100% right. I mean, I'm a people who know me, people who watch the content on YouTube, uh, who listen to this podcast um, or just know me in general, know that I'm a huge advocate for growth. I think, I think growing is one of the most important things that you can do as a human being because it makes you better and it makes you better for the people around you that you love and it makes you people better for the people around you that you don't know, that, that subsequently you're affected by your behavior. And so if you're growing and becoming better, and then you're contributing to society, but you're also contributing to yourself. And hunting clubs provide you with the opportunity to get better, uh, better in your skills, better in your knowledge, better in your ethics and your val uh, values to be accountable and to, to have people who who are in a position that you allow to, to shake their finger at you and say, no, Johnny, shooting that cow was bad. Here's why. Or no, Johnny, don't join this club so that you can get access to the property across to poach on. Or no, Johnny, don't pass me a loaded rifle over, you know, don't try and slide under a fence with a rifle that's fully cocked and the safety's off. Like, like the, 
these are ways that we can grow and clubs provide you with opportunities like that with uh, take all the other benefits the shiny bells and whistles out of it for that alone clubs are worth it um and it's you can be purely selfish and view clubs as just this transactional thing that you can take from or um hopefully like you've alluded to you can uh, look uh outward as well and think about how you can contribute to other people's growth to other people's value to other people's learning and education and hunting clubs provide you with both those things because human beings we're not designed to be any social creatures we're social creatures and we flourish when we're in communities when we're in clubs when we're in societies when we're in networks when we're in towns when we're in countries this is how we this is how we are built this is how we operate and so um like you said, I want to encourage anyone who's listening at the moment, go find a club, find a local club, find a national club that has benefits that suit you and invest in that club. Ian, thanks for chatting, mate. My pleasure. It's been a great chat. And so that's it. That's the end of my conversation with Ian Hurley on Australian hunting clubs. And I just want to thank you for getting to the end of this podcast. Having your attention on something like this for a long period of time, especially when we get into the weeds and have some difficult conversations, is no easy thing. Your attention is valuable. So I want to thank you for placing it here and now. And I want to encourage you again, if you haven't checked out the Australian Hunters Club, Go do that, australianhunters.com.au. So much of what we talked about today was negative, but at the same time, at the end of the day, we ultimately land on the fact that hunting clubs are a good thing. Hunting clubs are changing for the better. And uh, the Australian Hunters Club is definitely one that I am pushing in that positive direction. And I would love to have you a part of it. So if you're interested in learning more or joining, check out the Australian Hunters Club at australianhunters.com.au. And hopefully I see you there. Otherwise, hopefully I see you in another video or podcast soon. Bye.